The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, ladies and gentlemen, all right. Thank you for joining us on this glorious Tuesday. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. This is the Patrick Henningsen Show live and direct on TNT. We'll be blazing for the next two hours. Hello to everybody in the TNT chat community. Great to see you guys there. We had some very good numbers uh, in the chat room. We recovered uh, from our hiatus last week. Great to see everybody in there. Appreciate your guys, all the work that you do with the opposition research, the links, the memes, the banter. That's where you want to be during the live broadcast. If you're not, well, you're not really engaged in the program, so we encourage that. We're going to be joined in the first hour by a very special guest, our friend and cohort, Mr. Basil Valentine, is going to give us a Middle East update. Looking forward to that. He's got the latest coming out of the situation in Gaza. And I just heard from a trauma surgeon uh, who's been doing aid work there and just getting a lowdown on this day-to-day operations, what it's like working in that environment, the problems that they're facing. I'll be you know, sharing some of that information with Basil uh, in the first hour as well. I want to get his opinion on that situation, the humanitarian front. There's so much going on as well diplomatically. We'll be able to touch on some of that, no doubt as well in the first hour and in the second hour very pleased uh after a long uh, hiatus uh, we're going to be joined by our old friend blake lovewell surely it's going to be a fascinating uh conversation because blake's been piling up intel uh for the last month or so i think it's been about a month since we spoke to him uh but yeah he's been piling up the information analysis looking forward to that christmas is just around the corner i know everybody's getting ready for the holidays Appreciate you guys as well joining us again this week. Uh, And so, yeah, we'll be talking to Blake about world news and also about money and the economy and the signals, the black swans that are sort of swimming into the bay uh, at the moment. And they're talking about a big crash in February. Uh, All the signs are there in the bond market as well. Uh, The stock market as well seems to be somewhat overvalued. The course correction hasn't fully happened yet. And crypto has, well, crypto is basically talking. And Bitcoin has uh, established a new floor for the moment. Uh, Kind of exciting. Uh, We'll talk to Blake about that if you're holding any crypto you definitely want to hear this conversation uh in our number two so of course we're looking forward to that it's always going to be interesting and uh, great feedback from our segments yesterday with sam husseini uh that went over really well got a lot of great feedback from our listeners sam is uh brilliant in terms of his journalism and his insights as well hopefully we'll be getting sam back as well and find out what's going on inside the u.s state department maybe even on a regular basis so uh, hopefully with any luck we'll be able to arrange more conversations with the great sam husseini really appreciate his contribution yesterday and also joaquin flores what a barnstorming analysis on ukraine i mean uh, we're actually going to feature both of those uh, up at 21st Century Wire. We're going to push those out on our social media as well. Give some people a chance to listen to them again, watch them again uh, if they missed it on the first round on the live stream. So listen, uh, in terms of big events right now, Zelensky's in Washington. Of course, we're in Washington, D.C. right now. And I think he's in town. I think he's uh, I think he's within the Beltway borders. If not, he will be by lunchtime. Uh, he's got two meetings, two main meetings. One is with President Biden. Uh, that's where the sugar daddy is going to put his hand on the shoulder of little uh, Volodymyr and say to little Volo, uh, listen, 
it's been real uh but you know we're gonna have to cut off the allowance the allowance and ukraine's on quite a hefty allowance they they require the u.s to basically backstop all their functions of government so even paying state pensions believe it or not so what does that mean the ukrainian economy is just completely the bottom's falling out there is no economy just looking at stats the other day and you know the economy in the donbass that's in eastern ukraine accounts for on a good day uh something like 60 percent of the country's gdp so you're talking about less than a quarter of the landmass of the country but the most productive parts of the economy these are the russian speaking uh areas and oblasts which basically have thumbed their nose at at the behest of the united states uh basically running uh not an apartheid system, but not treating everybody equally under the law. That's what happened after the Maidan coup in 2014. Lo and behold, a civil war uh, broke out. The country descended into a violent uh, internal conflict from 2014 right up until 2022. And Russia finally intervened in the SMO. And the rest is history at the moment. So uh, what does that mean for Ukraine? economically it's basically toast uh, i don't think it'll ever recover it will always be reliant dependent on international aid on the imf uh as we heard over the top of the hour news break and just basic handouts from washington how long can the u.s fiat money system backstop a country like ukraine halfway around the world is it in the u.s interest to do that well now we're looking back at the minx accords and thinking, what a good deal that would have been. What a good deal. In fact, I'm looking back at the Zelensky presidential run. When was that, 2019? I'm looking at the Zelensky campaign. What did he campaign on? Oh, we're going to make the Minsk peace agreement happen. We're going to have peace with Russia. We're going to wind up the war in the Donbass, and everything's going to get back to normal. And it's going to be happy days for ukraine and into the eu and all the rest of it ha has any of those things happened no they took a pretty much a bad fascist turn uh and not just in 2014 with poroshenko but it wasn't long before the Zelensky government was hijacked and co-opted and then steered into the abyss uh, by washington by britain by nato and i don't think they'll ever recover unfortunately Sadly, Ukraine will never be the same. They're not going back to 1991 borders. It's just not happening. So this is a new reality, and I don't think they've quite faced up to it. I think people are getting the, the picture, though. So Zelensky's over looking for some cash, maybe some weapons, but mainly cash. And he's begging Joe Biden for some sort of last reprieve, another tranche of money. Uh, and then, then, then a meeting an audience with the new Speaker of the House, Johnson, Republican Speaker of the House, and he's going to be asking for more cash. But this time, see, it's going to have to go through the appropriations committees of the House of Representatives of the United States trying to do their proxy war legally, at least part in part anyway. Biden has a discretionary executive fund, but the, the, the big money might come from the House. And is he going to get it? Well, unfortunately... Vladimir is going to have to get behind in the queue. Uh, and the guy in the front of the queue is a big guy. His name is Benjamin Netanyahu. So that's who little Volo has to stand behind and hope for the scraps uh, that they don't give Israel. 
not only that, we're all looking at ammunition as well. And I saw a disturbing statistic, at least from an Israeli point of view, that if the United States stopped providing uh, JDAM and all these other bombs that they're supplying the Israelis, um, if they did that, that the war would be over in two weeks. Two weeks. That's the sort of supply run that the Israelis have. And I, I actually don't think they have unlimited supplies at the current rate that they're expending um, in, in terms of airstrikes and missile strikes uh, against the Palestinian civilians uh, in Gaza. So that would be it. Two weeks. Two weeks and it's over. Uh, Israel has some stocks. Um, they have some air-to-surface uh, munitions as well with their air force, but that wouldn't last very long if it turned out that they would be cut off from U.S. Uh, arms supplies. That would be it. So that was kind of interesting. So anybody who says, again, as we said previously with Ukraine, when this conflict began, we've been covering it nonstop for, we'll be going on two years in February, that if the United States is uh, not involved in either of these wars, no, they're co-belligerents. And even more so with Israel, uh, because the Israeli military, although they're, they're getting some arms from other countries and some components from other countries, Britain, Germany, and others supplying Israel with support militarily. Um, whereas, whereas Ukraine was getting a broad-based support from around the NATO membership, um, the United States is the, really the sole sponsor of the Israeli military machine. Uh, so they are working uh, hand-in-glove with the IDF on a day-to-day -day basis. Not only that, providing... Looks like targeting data uh, through uh, drone over flights over Gaza and so forth. So uh, to say the United States is not involved in this war, well, that's just patently false. It's untrue. They're very much involved. They're intimately uh, involved. And if they were to pull the plug for whatever reason, that would be it. Uh, this conflict would wind down very quickly. What does that tell you? That actually Washington does have a lot of leverage as independent as Israel likes to say it is, um, it doesn't have the manufacturing capability to do armaments. So all it would take would be a U.S. president, a Joe Biden or whoever, a Donald Trump, to say, actually, you got to stop bombing the civilians, otherwise you're not getting uh, any more ammo, and that's the end of that. And not only that, if you're out of ammo, then Egypt could invade you, and really you'd be able to do sweet F.A. about it quite frankly, unless they want to launch tactical nukes against Egypt. But aren't we getting into a ridiculous situation here? Uh, why don't we de-escalate? Why can't this calm down? This is getting out of control very quickly. And that's what reasonable people are saying. This is what adults in the room are saying and have been saying for weeks. And uh, yeah, the reality bites in this case and it's going to get even worse if we continue down this road we'll talk about this and more on the other side with our good friend and cohort mr basil valentine who's going to come in from the shores of albion and join us here on tnt today's news talk i'm patrick ennison your host stick around we'll be right back tnt radio's timothy shea the double standard is out there it's so obvious it's so frustrating eric holder gets held in contempt of congress for defying a congressional subpoena nothing happens obama's doj didn't pursue it steve bannon and peter navarro defy a congressional subpoena joe biden's doj criminally prosecutes them criminally 
prosecutes them for defying a congressional subpoena. And now we've got congressional subpoenas of Hunter Biden and James Biden, the resident's brother. And guess what? Nothing's going to be done by Merrick Garland, Barack Obama, Joe Biden's DOJ. That's right. I said Barack Obama. Obama's the shadow president. He's not the one pulling the strings. He wasn't pulling the strings in his own administration. You know, Valerie Jarrett was his minder. Where is the Iranian-born Valerie Jarrett these days? Haven't seen or heard much of her. It's because the Democrats are smart. Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT Radio. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40 California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine. Government stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%. You know, 99.8% survival, rather than the 3 or 4% mortality that the, the people are saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. (laughs) When the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get Rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. And you have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them. This is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, folks, welcome back. Welcome back to this live broadcast. We're still in hour number one. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. You're listening to TNT. Today's News Talk, you're also watching TNT, Today's News Talk, live in Technicolor. If you're on the video stream, you can find us on all respectable 
video sharing platforms, uh, including the big ones like YouTube. Listen, folks, uh, let's go deep now uh, over to the Middle East and and beyond that as well. I want to go in further into the BRICS zone uh, as well. We'll talk about what's going on in South America uh, to boot with our next guest, friend and cohort and commentator, Mr. Basil Valentine's joining us right now on the live link. Mr. Valentine, how are you? Very well, thank you, Patrick, and uh, good to be with you. It's great to be with you as well, Basil, and it's great to see the world turning behind you. Uh, but as the world turns, uh, it's not all good. Uh, things are not going very well at the moment in the Middle East. I don't know if you've been kind of keeping abreast of events there. I'm sure you have. Um, but uh, just on your observations, how you see things right now in the last week or so, and any developments that you think we need to sort of focus on right now, Basil? Well, the last time we spoke, 12 days ago, um, the ceasefire was holding. There was an exchange of prisoners. And um, we were reasonably optimistic that some sort of long-term solution might be found that did not involve the complete destruction of Gaza and its inhabitants. But unfortunately, since then, the relentless bombing has resumed uh hundreds if not thousands more people have been killed uh hamas has now started threatening to kill the hostages if the bombing doesn't stop um that possibility has been raised over the last 24 hours because uh hamas is in a corner of course israel supporters are saying well this can all be over very quickly if hamas simply surrenders um but you know, Caitlin Johnson published a lengthy article yesterday saying what a pointing out what a stupid suggestion that is, because apart from anything else, you know, Hamas do not listen to uh, outsiders and they have nothing to lose, you know. Um, so it's a dire, dire situation. The people of Gaza, as well as being bombed, are starving and uh, winter has arrived. And that can mean a heavy rain, cold, even snow, even in that part of the world. So the people living as thousands now are in tents, thousands of displaced people. You know, the problems are multiplying with the imminent possibility of widespread disease, which incidentally, one uh, former Israeli general, I believe, suggested would be a useful weapon of war that it would be very helpful to the Israeli cause if disease broke out in Gaza and that they should not be afraid of that. Well, quite extraordinary comments. Yeah, that's uh, important that you brought that up. I was attending a, a space a kind of press event, if you will, briefing with War Unpacked on the X platform, uh, formerly known as Twitter. And I believe Sarah Wilkinson, who you've uh, had on your programs in the past, she was also on the panel. But they had some uh, humanitarian relief workers who have been working uh, in the West Bank and uh, in Gaza and just describing the conditions. And they said, basically, and this was the, the horrific part, which dovetails with what you're talking about there any any chronic uh medical conditions they've stopped all care for things like uh any chronic conditions diabetes hearts uh any respiratory things like that there's just no there's no treatment available for that and cancer forget it 
these sort of high-end treatments. That's not happening. And what you also have now is the sort of threat of cholera, dysentery, uh, because the sewage systems um, have basically parts of the infrastructure has been destroyed um, in the bombings. They don't have sort of functioning utilities uh, anymore. So um, then you've got cholera and you've got some of these other, you know, uh, air airborne or infectious diseases, waterborne diseases, and problems like that. That 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 basil has the potential to wipe out, you know, lots of different people, and has done in the past in history. So that's what they're looking at here. So it's this is the secondary uh, problem. You know, these are secondary dangers uh, that could kill people uh, in this situation. I think the priority basil really is two priorities. One is the bombing needs to stop. Second, everything needs to be let in that needs to be let in in terms of aid. I mean, those are those are the two should be the two priorities, Basil. But everybody's umming and eyeing about it, which I find to be incredible, um, especially here in Washington D.C. It seems like, oh well, you know, it's just they can take a little more punishment, and uh, you know, who knows? It's all very abstract for people uh, in the West. But but if you're on the ground there. Uh, in in Palestine, it's very real indeed. Go ahead, Basil. You make a very good point, Patrick. The official position uh, that Blinken reiterated yesterday, talking to Andrea Mitchell, is and the reason why the United States vetoed the ceasefire again um, is that Hamas cannot be left in place. This is the thing. There can be no permanent ceasefire while there are still Hamas operatives fighters um, alive, basically, and uncaptured in Gaza. So, you know, by that logic, this bombardment could continue for months, because who can say when every Hamas operative or member uh, has been either killed or arrested? Um, I heard Ron Unz talking on TNT earlier today, saying that um, it's probably at least 100 to 1 um, civilians against Hamas operatives that have been killed. So in other words, for every Hamas operative, 100 civilians have been killed, which is a really grotesque ratio. Um, and of course, the Israelis also claim that they're not actually trying to drive people out of Gaza. No, 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 we're not trying to, we're not trying to ethnically cleanse it. But at the same time, they're making it impossible to continue living there. So you know, it's a bit like if I burst into uh, that comfortable environment where you are, Patrick, and, you know, with several people and started letting off hand grenades and attacking you, saying, oh, no, we're not trying to get you out of the room, Patrick. We, You know, we're not, really, we're not, you know. It's a total nonsense. Yeah, yeah, and it's just unlivable, uh, basically, the making that's impossible, right. taking away the living conditions. I mean, that's actually been a long-term, that's been a long-term Israeli policy, not just in Gaza, but in the West Bank for decades, really. Mm. Combination of economic blockades. I mean, you know, if you go to the West Bank, you have settlers stealing solar panels that have been provided by the European Union mm -hmm. for uh, West Bank Palestinian farmers. They get stolen and destroyed. Um, uh, you know, we've had some milk toast pushback against the worst excesses of the settlers in the West Bank, where, of course, there is no Hamas, but where hundreds of Palestinians have been murdered by a combination of violent settler gangs and the IDF since October the 7th. 
Um, we've had some pushback from the likes of David Cameron um, and uh, David, even David Lammy, the Labour spokesman, you know, but just the usual sort of this is unacceptable, da, 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 you know, no, no meaningful action has been taken or is likely to be taken. Britain itself, of course, having disgracefully abstained from the United Nations vote, which is almost a worse position than opposing. I mean, at least the United States have the gumption to say, no, no, we want to carry on the bombing. You know, not enough civilians have died. Hamas remains in place. Um, but abstaining is absolutely cowardly and pathetic. Do, do you know that, do, but uh, Basil, do you know the strategy behind how they would lodge that vote? Because what 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 is the reason for the abstention, as you said, as opposed to voting uh, for or against? Because this is like a pretty fundamental question. A lot of people are not, you know, they, they're not privy to the strategy involved. What do you know about that on the voting? Well, you know... <laughs> Within the Security Council, it's all very nuanced. The way diplomats work is very choreographed. Um, the UK representative will have had his instructions from Downing Street. And the question is, where does Downing Street get it? It's its instructions from. You know, what is the relationship between uh, uh, Rishi Sunak and uh, the United Kingdom Foreign Office? and uh, Israel. But I want to pivot now to another aspect of the conflict, um, which is that since October 7th, dozens of journalists in the supposedly free world that we keep hearing about um, have either been sacked or suspended for basically speaking their minds, for you know using the much vaunted right to freedom of speech that we in the West all enjoy. So uh, if you would be so kind as to indulge me for a moment, I'll run through some of them. Um, German media giant Axel Springer fired Kassem Rad, a 20-year-old apprentice, after he questioned the company's Israel policy through official internal channels. So apparently even uh, just uh, contacting your line manager and saying, well, you know, I don't approve of such and such, uh, that gets you fired. Uh, the Los Angeles Times, of course, has barred 38 journalists from covering Gaza for a minimum of three months after they signed an open letter criticizing media coverage of the war and are Israel's targeting of journalists, which, of course, has seen, I think the latest count is 86. 86 right. journalists right. have been killed. Murdered. It was just like 67 last week, Basil. That's right. That's right. BBC taken six Arab journalists off air after they allegedly showed anti-Israel bias by liking and publishing pro-Palestinian posts on social media. Mona Chalabi, the data journalist and illustrator who won the Pulitzer Prize for the New York Times earlier this year, says she's been able, unable to get commission for additional work for the, from the paper since the war started because of her known stance. Art Forum Editor-in-Chief David Velasco was fired after wealthy art collectors objected to an open letter by artists expressing solidarity with Palestinians was posted on the magazine's website. The Harvard Law Review killed an article on the Gaza war 
um, after it was commissioned, edited and fact-checked. Um, and of course, Mehdi Hassan has been cancelled as well. There are doubtless others. Uh, and of course, even those who still have platforms are often self-censoring for the very same reasons, because they want to hang on to their jobs. Um, so we're in a very, very dark, sinister place where speaking out against what is increasingly being recognized around the world as genocide um, may get you fired or suspended. What a strange yeah. place. And, and, you know, that's that that pressure, that political pressure uh, we're talking about. This is mainly in Western countries. This is you, know, you can cover this freely in a lot of countries in the world. You're not going to be restrained by, you know, editorial pressures and advertising pressures. But in the United States, in Europe and in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and basically the Anglosphere and the G7 zone. Basically, um, you will there will be pressure applied, and there is that political uh, bubble, if you will. So it, even if you're reporting the facts, even if you're sticking to the facts, um, then you could fall foul of whatever the organization's politics are. And ironically, uh, there's journalists who are basically reporting myth mistruths, complete unfactual claims, and have been doing from the beginning about. 40 beheaded babies and all the rest of it um, and totally mischaracterizing the political and geopolitical situation the occupation the, the the true nature of the occupation in the occupied territories the international law piece as well you can misreport all that you can mischaracterize it you can misframe it you can even invent stories of mass rape which to date there is actually no evidence that's been produced, only claims by the IDF, which have been repeated in Western media. But if you repeat all these things, you'll keep your job. You won't have any problems. You might even get promoted. Who knows? But it's it's going to be increasingly embarrassing for these people, Basil, as the evidence, the real evidence continues to mount and all of these fake claims get debunked. And so that's where we're at. And so you take the unpopular position early. You take a lot of the heat. In some cases, you get shot down. Uh, but over time, all of those people who have been doing their job properly as journalists will be vindicated. And everybody who is a charlatan and who is basically winging it and basically parroting all the propaganda coming out of mainstream media and the IDF in Washington, um, they're going to be exposed as complete frauds from a journalistic point of view. And that's just the way it's going to go. How? Why do I say this, Basil? Because we've been through this before. We've been through it with Syria, 10 years of the Syrian war. I've been through it with Ukraine, two years of Ukraine, been through it with COVID and the whole vaccine farrago. I mean, and I've been through it uh, quite many times before with Libya, Palestine, Yemen, Iraq. I mean, this, so I kind of know, we we know how this is going to pan out in the end, Basil. But this one's particularly, particularly divisive, isn't it? Go ahead. We've got a couple of minutes and we're going to go to break in a minute. Go ahead, Basil. Yeah, it's the worst in terms of propaganda that I can remember. Um, only earlier this week, we had the claims of sexual violence by Hamas amplified once again. Um, now, I did a report from one Israeli NGO that uh, some of the individuals who were killed on October the 7th 
may have been the victims of sexual violence by virtue of the positions of their limbs uh, when they were found. Um, but that's a long way from, uh, you know, the claims that are being made, let alone the importance attached to them. Um, besides, uh, if there is a rapist in a suburban house uh, anywhere in the world, the police arrest him. They do not bomb the entire street to smithereens. So, you know, again, proportionality. But of course, this is all an attempt to continue to feed the narrative that uh, Hamas, and by implication, all Palestinians are violent human animals, that they do not deserve any compassion at all. And uh, whatever Israel chooses to do with them is all perfectly justified because they are such abysmal people. Um, but as you say, a lot of these most outlandish claims have been completely debunked one by one, but the damage is done. That's the problem. The damage is get your lion first, get your lion first, get it in often, get it in early, repeat it. And by the time the cycle has moved on, any retraction or correction uh, will only gain a fraction of the publicity. I mean, that's the way the UK press worked for decades was that you could defame somebody and uh, if you were forced to print a retraction it appeared in tiny oh we made a mr you know three little lines um and the law was then changed so that equal prominence had to be given to retractions as to the original article but unfortunately that isn't the case with broadcast media so what, what I found interesting about this, as you as you explained, Basil, last week, when we saw that sort of barrage of the sex crime talking point, I mean, granted, this is like seven weeks after this whole yeah. thing started. So, I mean, these things have what, been under kept under wraps for uh, seven weeks, kind of ridiculous. But it came at the exact time when the Bebas family was reported to have died because of injuries. That's the mother and the two children, the young child, hostage. Uh, which were being held, I think, not by Hamas, but another Palestinian group killed or injured, uh, died of injuries sustained in Israeli airstrikes, according to Hamas, when they announced it. Now, there was a huge backlash about this in Israel because they're saying, why weren't these hostages um, released? Because they had an opportunity to release some of these and Israel didn't want to do the exchange. So a lot of pressure came on the Netanyahu government. People were, patients were running thin on this hostage issue. And all of a sudden at that exact time, you see all of these reports come out about sex crimes. And that's what dominates all of the Western broadcast media, literally across the board, as if there was right. nothing going, nothing else was going on in Gaza at the time so it did it did provide a a, a big sort of uh gaslight to, to me it looked like a, type, a a gaslighting operation by the media to basically look over here focus on what's Absolutely. being projected here and not over there we've got a minute left before we go to break go ahead basil well well that's been the case solidly for two months now over two months really that every few days jonathan cook has pointed this out we have to go back to october the 7th we have to keep refreshing October the 7th. Ron Hunt said earlier today on TNT that uh, he thinks it's quite possible. The, ma the majority of civilians killed on October the 7th were killed by the Israelis themselves, with tanks shelling the kibbutzes and the Apache helicopters mowing down um, 
attendees at the music festival. Uh, so, you know, there's October the 7th and there's October the 7th, plus, of course, the possibility that Netanyahu allowed it to happen. But very surprisingly, I've also heard that uh, prior to October the 7th, the demonstrations against the Netanyahu government over its judicial reforms, some of those were apparently organized by Mossad, who have been plotting against Netanyahu for some time. So, but yes, you're right. Uh, I mean, we've seen also these uh, appalling pictures uh, of the Palestinian prisoners stripped down to their underpants. Even Mark Regev, uh, talking to Joy Reid on MSNBC yesterday, said that those photos should not have been taken because they are, of course, against the Geneva Convention. Um, and also there are reports of sexual crimes by Israeli troops, uh, quite apart from things. I, I don't know if you saw, you know, somebody's a picture, uh, you know, footage of an Israeli soldier in a shop uh, in northern Gaza, Palestinian shop, and he was simply taking everything off the shelves and smashing it on the floor. You know, somebody's pride and joy that they've worked to build up. And there's a really sinister um, sort of victory um, mentality amongst Israeli soldiers that's uh, encouraging them to humiliate uh, Gazans in every possible way like that, often on camera. Yeah, I also set fire to uh, uh, food supplies and aid uh, in the back of the truck yes. that was destined for uh civilians there is really regrettable of course uh very sad yeah and the you know allegations in the israeli courts according to the jerusalem post in the times of israel of uh, thousands of uh complaints and cases against israeli soldiers for rape and sexual abuse and and only a very small percentage of them um ever seeing any convictions or even making it into the judicial system so i mean that that's been going on for decades actually that's right a long-running problem so there you have actual evidence you have actual documentation of this a real institutional problem there nobody in the west is talking about it so you, you might read about it in the israeli media here or there i think there's one article in the guardian about it and something else in the entire of the western mainstream media but at this time instead we're getting all of these sort of accusations that hamas was somehow uh running rape gangs with viagra and all the rest of it on the 7th as if they had time to do that whether it's basically taking military bases and fighting the idf but anyway that's how it goes uh war is hell and anything goes especially in the information war and we're just here yes, uh, as as observers we got to go to break basil hold that thought we're yeah. you're listening to tnt today's news talk i'm patrick henningson your host i'm here with basil valentine we're doing deep dive analysis on updates from the middle east specifically trouble in the holy land all this and more we're going to go to south america and the other brick zones after the break i'm patrick Nation, your host stick around we'll be right back with his expert analysis and opinion this is tnt radio's timothy shea the right of the people to be secure in their persons houses papers and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated and no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. That's our Fourth Amendment. Thank heavens and the founders that we have it. 
Why? Well, let's look at Ireland. They're trying to ram through a bill before Christmas that would authorize the Guardi to enter a house and seize any electronic devices they found if the government somehow found something objectionable, whether liking the wrong post on social media, making the wrong comment, or visiting the wrong website. That is the very definition of tyranny, and it's why we fought a war to throw it off. Hopefully, the Irish will figure out the importance of banning government intrusion like this before it's too late for them. And hopefully, we in the United States never lose sight of how important it is to keep the government at bay. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Many pollution sources can affect the air you breathe. From power plants and vehicles to dust and wildfires, knowing more about local air quality can help you protect your health. If you're thinking about buying an air sensor, EPA has a series of videos to help you get the most out of it. Learn how EPA collects and uses regulatory data, how EPA communicates health messaging, and how to interpret the readings from your sensor. Visit epa.gov air sensor toolbox. This is the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. All right, folks, here we go. Here we go. We're still in the first hour with this live broadcast. I'm uh, pleased to be joined by our resident pundit commentator analysis, Basil Valentine, who's uh, joining us on the live stream right now. And we're getting into uh, the nuts and bolts of what's going on uh, in the Holy Land, uh, specifically in Gaza. We've done a little bit of an analysis there. Uh, we're going to go to the BRIC zone uh, to South America in a moment. But um, Basil, before the break, uh, I cut you off when you're making an important point. But uh, let's wrap up this conversation so far uh, on the situation in Gaza. Go ahead. I was just going to say from a, a propaganda and news reporting point of view, ironically, you get more truth about Israel and its actions, activities and all the rest of it from the Israeli media than you do from Western media. Uh, you know, Haaretz in particular um, and other Israeli channels uh, report fully on what's going on and uh, your mentality and all the rest of it. Um, but you don't get that in you don't get that in Western media. In fact, in Western media, basically, um, mainstream media are outlets for official Israeli propaganda and almost completely unfiltered. And it's not it's not that much different than during the during the Iraq War when you had U.S. embedded journalists and you had all the information was being filtered out of the Pentagon and then into the mainstream media. It's the same thing. And listen, let's not kid ourselves. This is exactly how the information has been coming out with Ukraine. It's coming straight out of Kiev or out of the Pentagon through NATO and then into the Western mainstream media. This is how the information goes. So why would it be any different here? And this is exactly the way it is. So all we're doing is basically lifting the veil and trying to give you a better picture of what's actually going on because we're surveying all media. We're not just looking at Western mainstream, but we're looking at Arabic language media. We're looking at regional media. We're also looking at European, Asian media. There's different people covering this different ways. Plus, we have open source intelligence, which we're getting feeds. I'm getting mine directly from uh, the Gaza Ministry of Health. So I've joined their groups. I'm 
getting updates on everything. And those are the same sort of data sets that are going to the UN bodies as well. Those have been corroborated by NGOs and uh, UN humanitarian organizations. So I have no reason to believe that they're not accurate. But anyway, that's where we're getting our information. We're just happy to be able to pass that on uh, to our audience here. And hopefully you guys are as good and as well informed as anybody uh, on this issue. That's why we're here. This is why we're doing what we're doing. Now, Basil, you know, on, I, the, on the- I will, I will yeah, just, go ahead. I would just say, sorry, quick, quickly to finish on that. If, if Western mainstream media, particularly in the United States, reported in a genuinely even-handed way on the Israel-Palestine conflict, not just now, but over the last 30 or 40 years, then what little remaining support there is for Israel amongst the American public would collapse immediately. Simple as that. That's why Judith Weir, the campaigner, um, mm. calls her organization, If Americans Knew. It's no, it's Al Alison Weir. Alison Weir. Alison Weir, that's, Alison Weir, yeah. that's right. Yeah, she's a lovely lady. Uh, great website, by the way. And she, she lays out a lot of important stuff there. Yeah, if Americans knew, uh, certainly just like the way they've characterized Russia, you see how Russia's been dropped like a bad habit by the world and sanctioned and everything's been canceled because they've reported it a certain way and everybody's on board with that. So, yeah. It's this powerful. endless creation. That's right. It's this endless creation of bogeymen. Um Putin, the latest bogeyman, Hamas, a collection of bogeymen, you know. Um, th there's got to always be a demon out there that can be attacked one way or another. Yeah, we're, we're meant to think that uh, uh, <laughs> a, a Palestinian resistance fighter on the back of a moped is somehow more menacing than an F-35 dropping U.S. JDAMs on uh, residential blocks, uh, killing, like, dozens of people at, a, at each time. I mean, I'm just putting things into perspective. Uh, anyway, what, can, what else can we that. say? Uh, Basil, so, so let's, let's, let's shift a little bit. Let's pivot. Um, I'm, I'm looking, I'm over the bricks, the bricks zone. Okay. Now there's a few members that are perspective for January, like Saudi Arabia, like the UAE and Argentina. I'm just naming a few countries. Basel, prospective members of the BRICS alliance or the BRICS network to be more specific. It's like the G7. It's a network of countries. What about Argentina? Uh, the new president's come in. He's saying BRICS is a non-starter. We're not going in. So that's a big shift from the previous uh, leadership before your new man came in. Give us a little bit of a snapshot of what's going on in South America right now, Basil. Well, obviously, the election of Javier Millet's real political earthquake, the like of which even that continent hasn't seen before. He claims to be a libertarian um, and was elected because the country's facing 200% inflation, 200%. And he said he's going to replace the Argentinian peso with the United States dollar in a bid to bring about economic stability, though. People have pointed out that where that's been done elsewhere, it's been a disaster. It's also planning on privatizing everything that's moved and, of course, has said he will move the Argentinian embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. He's a big fan of Israel and wants to pivot away from uh, the BRICS countries to NATO, European Union, United States. So... 
you know, remains to be seen once he starts doing this, how popular he will continue to be. Um, he's been dubbed the Argentinian Donald Trump, but uh, actually he seems to be much more reckless than Trump. And I very much doubt that he's actually going to be able to follow through on a lot of these promises that he made. And he started ditching his promises already. I don't know if you noticed that. Well, he he said he's going to, I think, first day he boasted, Basil, he's going to be like shaving the, the bureaucracy down. So cut, cutting out a bunch of uh, government departments on his first day that made headlines. This is like the they, they call him the, the, the chainsaw guy. Basically, you've seen him with this like he, he waved a chainsaw around during the campaign to indicate how he was going to cut things up. You know, I mean. So, I mean, that's like if you're looking at their their balance of payments, where that country is economically, you know, yeah, they're sure they're shaving off a little of the bureaucracy, but that's like pissing against the wind um, to uh, use a, uh, a term there. But um, it, it, so, I mean, you know, are they are they going to be backstopped? Um, are they going on the dollar peg? Uh, what are the plans to, you know, halt this massive inflationary runaway inflation that you're talking about there, Basil? Um, I just think I see a lot of international institutions lining up for loans. So we're looking at an increase in sovereign debt. So big interest payments to people that are coming in, buying Argentinian bonds, the IMF as well. I'm sure there's a tranche of, of money uh, probably going to be coming from the IMF. What does this mean? They're going to have to sell off all their state assets? Is that what's going to happen? It's going to be a fire sale? Is this what the uh, new president's going to do? That's usually what happens when the IMF get involved. Uh, they like to uh, take over a country's assets, water, power. Those are the usual first targets. Um, of course, uh, Zelensky, your old favorite, was at um, the uh, swearing-in ceremony on Sunday, along with Jair Bolsonaro, if I can quote um I want you to be aware that we are going to begin the reconstruction of Argentina after more than a hundred years of decline, redrawing the ideas of freedom. Although we are going to have to endure a period of hardness, we will move forward. We are going to be a power again, he added. That's Millet speaking on Sunday. Interesting. He's already well, met with top US officials in Washington and his economic team has started collaborating with the IMF to formulate a plan aimed at reshaping the country's foreign policy and guiding its economy out of the current crisis. Well, if he's getting in bed with the IMF, he's going to get out of one crisis and into another one. Yeah, and, and look, Argentina does have everything that it takes in terms of natural resources. They have a good agricultural base. Uh, they've got a good natural resource base. They also have a pretty decent uh, portfolio in terms of uh, hydrocarbons, uh, specifically, of course, oil and natural gas. So they've got enough for what they need um, and then some to export as well. But the question is, are they going to be competitive on the world market? And that's the whole point of the BRICS network is to give some kind of advantage between BRICS countries across multiple hemispheres. So you've got Brazil, you'd have Argentina, you've got South Africa, you've got a few other African countries, I believe Egypt uh, and others potentially joining the BRICS. And then you have the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, UAE coming in 
potentially Turkey is also prospective member there. And then in Asia, China, Russia, and India, uh, to name only a few. I even think that uh, there's a few other countries that are going to jump um, on board there. Pakistan, I think, is possibly one of those as well. And and Iran, uh, which are already an informal member of the BRIC. So uh, is, is the president uh, nearsighted there or playing politics uh, at the behest of Washington to cut himself out of the BRICS network? Is, is, is Washington, is America going to give everything that Argentina needs? They're going to be able to plug all their gaps for them. I don't know. Uh, I, I see potential r rapacious pillaging of another South American country once again by the masters of the Western Hemisphere. Or am I just a cynic, Basil? Well, I think Millet is likely to turn out to be basically a pro-Washington globalist rather than any kind of genuine libertarian nationalist. Uh, let's put it that way. Um he has already backtracked on his commitment to withdraw from the Paris Climate Agreement, which was one of his campaign pledges. So I, I think you'll find him sort of very much in bed with the whole um, WEF uh, agenda and, um, the, you know, the fact that he seems to be on side with Zelensky and his related allies means that He's, he's going to position himself as um, a technocrat, really, who claims to be able to sort things out, you know, and build this new Argentina. But in fact, uh, will be following the same old neoliberalism repackaged. Yeah, the big test will be when there's uh, some sort of a phantom outbreak of this this virus or that virus, and they're going to do another you know vaccine passport situation or whatever in Argentina, and you'll be able to see uh, if he's his, his WEF bona fides. By the way, he's favored by the World Economic Forum. He has uh, made his presence known there previously. So is he part of that coterie, and what does that mean going forward? Uh, for the libertarian, the new libertarian uh, Argentina, I don't think those two things are uh, basically they, that they can coexist, that they're compatible I mean, anyway. The, the South American countries do uh, elect unusual people sometimes, often because the problems in those countries are so acute. Now, Bolsonaro had his good points. Um, people were nonplussed by his election. Uh, on a law and order ticket, but it's worth remembering that 60,000 Brazilians are murdered every year on average. Mm. I mean, 60,000. I mean, it's an unbelievable number. So, you know, unsurprisingly, Brazilians elected somebody promising to improve the crime rate. Likewise, Argentina has been in economic crisis for a long, long time. And as I said, inflation approaching 200%. So if somebody comes along saying, I've got a radical solution to this, don't elect that bloke who's basically a continuation of the failures of the last 10, 20 years. Elect me, we're going to drop the peso, we'll have the dollar. Our whole economy will be stable, prices will be stable because we'll be not just pegged to the dollar, we will be the dollar. So yeah. people go, okay, you know what I mean? We're desperate. We can't go on with 200% inflation. So we'll vote for this bloke without necessarily thinking through the rest of his positions, because I think Argentina in the long run 
will see its future with BRICS and, and related mm. countries. Well, they will get some relief, temporary relief on inflation if if they're pegged to the dollar. Um, so you, you will see. That's a little game, by the way, played between governments and Washington. You can easily put a regime out of favor by taking it off the dollar peg, spirals into an inflationary uh, death spiral like you did with Lebanon and look at Argentina now. So anyway, we'll keep an eye on some of these things. Basil Valentine, really appreciate your contribution at TNT Radio this week. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. Top of the hour news headlines coming up. And when we come back, we're going to hit more on the international front. Some U.S. news, too. Hillary Clinton's reappeared. What's she up to? She's stumping for Joe Biden. What's that all about? All this and more. And Blake Lovewell on the other side. I'm Patrick Henningsen. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Stay with us. 